Hello and welcome to Weekly MTG. I'm your host, Blake, and co-host Steve is out this week because none of his blazers were clean. But instead, I have a couple special guests in the studio and on Skype. So Josh Lee Kwai is going to be joining us on Skype in just a little bit. That's when we'll put the headphones on and we'll all look a little weird. Uh, but in the studio, Trick's here. He's always here, but say hi. This is my first time on You're always in the MTG. building. Well, yes, yes. that's true. But. Yes, and it's not your first time on Weekly MTG. But from all the way from Britain. All the way. All the way, we have one Rich Hagan. Hello. That's a random surprise. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. Doing good. Lots of exciting things happening in coverage world at the moment. You yeah. Know, and Cleveland and London and, and Boston. It's, you know, jet-setting lifestyle and all sorts of fun going on. So, yep. yeah. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, after we talk with Josh. So uh, here's the deal. Kind of the overarching theme of today's show is uh, content creation. So we brought on one of the community's uh, biggest and brightest content creators, and we got a couple guys who know a little bit about content creation here as well. Uh, if you are not familiar with Josh Lee Kwai's work, uh, we have a couple clips from his shows, uh, The Command Zone and Game Nights, that we will show you right now. So basically, <laughs> you've got three turns, and you're dead if you don't get rid of this and thing. And each turn, things are worse for you. Think about it. Like, all right, I'm going to give everyone two uh, two twos. And then the next turn is like, well, I guess I have to discard my hand, because if I become life total becomes four, all my opponents can just murder me. That's right. You have two turns. Because if you go to four, you probably lose. And if you discard your hand, you probably you lose. You probably lose, yeah. Oh, this card's brutal. This card's... What, do you, what would you choose first? Oh, give everybody five, two, two yeah. zombies. That's the one that's like... And that's still pretty bad. That's but, awful. Because you don't get... That's 30 power on the board <laughs> if you have three opponents. <laughs> I'm going to play Slaying Mantis. Oh! oh. Dun, dun, dun. It enters the battlefield by being thrown from a distance of at least three feet. It's the kind of thing that you practice you can get good at, but I know he'd never done it before. So I was a little bit nervous, but I had hoped that it wouldn't be too bad. Okay, just take a deep breath. Don't let it throw you. We got this. Just aim for that defective detective. Are we ready? All right, we're ready. <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> oh, hey, can we get a slow-mo replay of what just happened? Can we spend a lot of time watching it? Nobody, nobody saw that, right? Nobody saw that? Yeah, nobody's going to see that that... <laughs> so that's from clips from the Command Zone and Game Nights. And joining us now on the side of your screen over here, Josh Lee Kwai. Josh, how you doing? Hi, everybody. Or should I say, how's it? Thanks for having me on. I want to say for the record that um, I did not pick those clips. Who did? <laughs> Who did? Another editor here. Okay. Who, yeah. You, I would have picked something. Did a they go more for maximum <laughs> embarrassment on that? Seems as if they did. Yes. Okay. Uh, I, I was amused. Chat, <laughs> chat seemed amused. So, uh, Josh, you do, you do a lot. You put out these episodes of, of Command Zone, Game Nights, uh, and and people aren't really aware of what all goes into it. They see the video and they're kind of like, oh yeah, they just you know they took some shots of them playing Commander. Uh, they did a little editing and, uh, you know, interviewed some people afterwards, and then they put it up. But uh, as we all know, there's a, there's a lot more that goes into it, isn't there? Yeah, there's a, a lot, lot more. Uh, the, one of the favorite comments we get all the time is like, why can't you put out game nights once per week like you do the <laughs> podcast? Um, which is great because that means people want to watch a lot of it. Uh, but 
yeah, people don't see the behind the scenes where we have, you know, we've got a director of photography. We've got to have a judge there. We've got to have somebody keeping track of all the plays. we got a sound guy. We've got, you know, a PA that can move stuff around. Then there's the editorial work. And, you know, the show's gotten to the point where I have four to five different editors working on it just to get it done, uh, you know, within the timeline that that we've got. So it's it's a lot, a lot, a lot of work. It's basically running a TV show. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not that different, you know. How many so, people? How many people would you say touch a show from beginning to end? If you count the guests and everything, it's probably twelve to fourteen people, depending. Okay. Um, because also, you know, magic is a game where it's not like basketball, where you pretty much know exactly how long it's going to take. Uh, a game of Commander can be ninety minutes, but it can also be two hours, but it can also be three hours, and mm-hmm. so depending on how the game plays out. It really depends on how much work any given episode is going to take um, from that regard as well. Mm-hmm. And and how do you actually shoot a game? Do you just kind of position cameras and go, or is there a whole process? Yeah, there's a there's a process. You know, we've got uh, almost 25 episodes now. So early on, the first few, we did just kind of like take a guess, line up some cameras and go. But we've got it down to um, we have four cameras running on the game. We have... Uh, two on each side of the, or one on each side of the table. Then there's an overhead camera, um, which we learned had to be a very high resolution camera. I'm sure, Rich, you know that from the Pro Tour. Um, It's it's amazing. You think like, we used to have a GoPro up there, but it just wasn't crisp enough. We had to buy a camera that shoots in 4K because a lot of times you want to punch in, uh, which is what we mean by like zooming in basically to different parts of the board. And if your camera is not high enough resolution quality, as soon as you do that, it just gets blurry super blurry. So we've got that camera, which has to be a good one. And then we have a camera in the middle, which we call the roaming camera. And we have to have an op- a cam operator on that camera because it's going to move and follow the action on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so that gives us, you know, all the edit points we need basically to be able to upcut all the action within a game because most of what we're doing, um, maybe not most of what we're doing, but a lot of what we're doing is just taking out all the natural pauses that happen in a game of magic. And then of course we have the interview portion the reality style confessionals, mm-hmm. uh, and those are a two camera setup, where we actually have to slightly relight and reset for for those. So, um, I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> it definitely does. <laughs> that is that is more than even I assumed, and I've I've seen a lot of this stuff behind the scenes. But how how did this even start? Because it's not like you're just going to invite a dozen people over on a lark. Right. Start start throwing up professional equipment and be like, yeah, let's do this little YouTube show. It'll be fun. So how did um, how did this get started? Well, obviously Jimmy and I had been doing the podcast for a couple of years when we started Game Nights, and so we'd been getting together once a week and talking for an hour about Commander to people out there, and we had gotten to know uh, you guys, you know, and and really I got to give a lot of credit to the guy sitting next to you there, Trick, because um, in 2016. He sent us the Commander 2016 product early, so it hadn't been released yet, and we got it maybe like, I think it was two and a half or three weeks before it was going to hit the stores. So we had it, and I think Trick was like, yeah, this way you can talk about it on the podcast. But Jimmy and I had, of course, been thinking about doing gameplay for a while, because there's the Pro Tour, you know, as Rich knows, Um but there's not anything at that time for commander players to watch their favorite format being played. But it's super complicated to show a commander game because it's just exponentially harder when there's multiplayer. And so we had been sort of ruminating 
on ideas about how to do gameplay. And when Trick sent us the product early, it was kind of like the catalyst we needed to say like, okay, well, if we're ever gonna do it, this is the time because we can shoot it and release it right at the time when the product comes out, mm -hmm. when the most eyeballs will be there and the most people will be interested in it. And so we didn't actually know the show was called Game Nights at that point, we called it Out of the Box. And we you know, tried some stuff. Uh, and so that one was really just like, let's call two of our friends. Jimmy and I just set up a couple cameras. The GoPro that's the overhead shot on the table was just taped to a lamp because we didn't have <laughs> we didn't have time to you know get all the stuff. And so that was the first spark of the idea that sort of built into what it's become. Okay, Blake, I think there's a really important lesson there because I know that we all get a, a question. Yeah, how can I break into whether it's coverage or you know having mm -hmm. being a personality all the time. in, in yep. magic? And the answer is always one word: start. Yeah. Right. Because what Josh is talking about there is we tried this. We had a lamp, so we stuck some sticky tape on something and mm -hmm. we didn't have a name and we didn't have a producer. It doesn't matter because you can have that on show two or show five or show 55, but you have to make show one. Yeah. Right. And, and that is so find your niche. Josh, you were talking there about at that time you said this didn't exist. So you became by default the best at that thing mm -hmm. by being the first yeah. To, to, to bring it. And so many people that we know who work in this building yeah. got here because they were the cube guy. They were the, we're going to design modern guy. That, you know, and just yeah. so, right? And we know who we're talking about there, right? So, uh, yeah, I think that's a super important thing for, for people who say, well, how can I do this? Start. Just start, yeah, absolutely. And even, you know, before they got to that point, like you said, they were doing the podcast every week and, and then moved into this. Um, so, you play, you know, you play a lot on these shows, but how much Commander do you play off camera? <laughs> um, we have made a concentrated effort in the last few months to play more because I think you guys probably know this a lot, which is as soon as you start making content for Magic, you start playing less Magic because yep. your free time used to be for this one hobby, which was playing Magic, and now you started this other hobby of making content for Magic, and so that naturally dilutes your free time. And it's very easy to fall into the trap of leaning into the content so much to the point where you you look up and at a certain point you're like, I barely play the game anymore. And, you know, I've talked to all the content creators um, in the community and they all reach that point somewhere along, you know, their arc. And definitely I have been there. But, you know, Jimmy and I re literally said, like, listen, we need to play more. We're going to make an effort to, like, gather the troops, play some, you know, we obviously everybody that works here now, they have to be a magic player. They have to know the game really well. Mm -hmm. We're going to stop down sometimes and we're going to play because that kind of recaptures, you know, your passion and, and you need that. Cause if we, when you don't have it, like it starts to creep into your content and the audience can really feel it. So yeah, it's very important I think to play, but, uh, but again, am I playing as much as I did before we started the podcast? No, because yeah. you know, the, just, that's just the way it goes. A lot of the free time is just devoted to playing. But we still play Commander. Um, you know, we have Commander Nights like a few times a month, and we still draft, you know. And, and Arena has just been this amazing thing that has allowed me to play so much more Magic uh, mm -hmm. lately. You know, that, that Arena is just awesome. Um, and I've been playing it tons. And, you know, again, that's that inspiration that you need to just sort of inject it into you to keep your your uh, content creation engine going. Yep, yep, for it not to feel like a job. And we have we actually have something similar. We actually have, we set meetings around the office. We are playing Magic for right. this hour so that we 
remember what we're working with and we get connection to whatever the set that is coming out. And every once in a while, the tabletop studio, so we work on a floor above the tabletop studio, and they'll grab people from the fourth floor and just be like, we've got this set coming out in a year. Can you guys come play it a little bit and just tell us what you think? Um, so it's, it's really important to create that content. You need to actually still play the game even not for that content. So, yes, absolutely. So then what decks are you playing right now when you're not on camera? Well, you know, uh, Magic Fest Los Angeles just happened last weekend. So yep. I actually have, I played a ton over uh, those three days. I probably played like close to 20 games um, of Commander. And my favorite deck has been for like a couple of years now is a Vile, Thrash, a Vile Smasher and Thrasios deck. Okay. Uh, which is sort of a throw a lot of random damage around, cast really big spells. I think... Most people think of me as a more spiky uh, commander player, even though I don't play like competitive EDH. But um, and that's probably true. Like in general, I build a little bit stronger decks, and I think Vile Smasher takes away my ability to like aim what I'm doing, and then I can kind of relax. Well, I'm going to cast this, and it's going to do damage to somebody, but I can't control it, so mm -hmm. I don't have to think so hard. And it actually makes the game more fun sometimes. Um, I also have a Tim deck, the Prodigal Sorcerer Pingers okay. Commander deck, which is one of my favorites. Uh, I have a Rune Blink deck, which I like a lot. I have one of those, and, too. And then uh, I have a Shadowborn Apostles Athreos deck. Okay. Um, and those are kind of the four that I probably play the most. Okay. Um, because they're on varying power levels, too, yeah. on the scale. So it's like you go to the table and you're like, okay, on a 1 to 10, what's everybody at here? And, you know, most of the time it's like a 7, but every once in a while people say, ah, 5, 6, and you're like, okay, well, I'll pull out this deck. And sometimes they say 8, 9, and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to grab this thing then. Mm -hmm. So, How many decks do you have total? built oh um <laughs> i used to have i used to have more uh but right now i'm right around i think i'm at 18 okay uh, i used to have like i used to have like high 20s but because of game nights what ends up happening is we build most of the decks for game nights and so i'm stripping down a lot of my mm -hmm. decks for parts and i just have a lot of you know oh we got to build these decks so i just have less yeah, eight, yeah. Rich, rich is like a eight. filthy <laughs> commoner well, I mean, my high, my high water mark was 16 decks. Right. Was at maybe a year or two ago. I had 16 decks, seven. and then I started cutting them down from there. That's my high water mark is seven. seven. <laughs> that, honestly, you don't need more than four, really. You right. really don't. It was so last week when we did the Modern Horizons announcement, uh, Cassius Marsh was here, and he's a big commander player. You know Cash really well. Um, and so before the show, we were playing commander. It was myself. Matt Nass and Cash and then uh, Mark Hagen. And uh, Matt had to borrow a deck and then Cash brought his decks. And we sat down to play and literally everyone had a blue-green deck. It was blue-green <laughs> and then a white deck. And I looked through all of the decks I had brought because I do the same thing where I bring different power levels of decks. They were all Simic decks. It, it wasn't on purpose. It just <laughs> was what it was. And Cash had the same thing. He had like three blue-green decks and then the non-green deck we both had, we both pulled out foil a zombie deck. So we we're just like, oh, <laughs> you are my spirit animal. Well, you, I hope you brought your, your very powerful decks because Cash don't mess around. He doesn't. I, I won. I won. Yeah. I, felt, I felt pretty <laughs> good right, about nice, that. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, let's, you, you recently joined the Commander Advisory Group as well. So tell people a little bit what that's about. So Sheldon Menry contacted me and a few other folks um, a few weeks ago now and was kicking around this idea of, of a group that's going to advise the Rules Committee. And, and Sheldon 
and a few others, they run the committee that basically decides what the rules for commander are. And they were looking to sort of expand their perspective. And, you know, also, I think they were reaching out to a lot of content creators because the rules committee itself um, doesn't have a great apparatus by which to communicate with the public. And so they were sort of, you know, I'm there, Shivam Bhatt is there, um, a, a few other content creators, Rachel Agnes, I know, writes mm-hmm. for uh, Channel Fireball. And so they also wanted to have some people that were able to sort of like get the word out because they just kind of have forum posts is the way that they yeah. like are able to tell people what's happening. And it's not a great way to explain things in a very, you know, uh, in a great manner. So we formed what's called the CAG, the Commander Advisory Group. Um, I'm on it. Do with, you actually call it the CAG? I think we haven't. <laughs> listen, it hasn't existed for very long, so I don't know what we call it yet. Some people call it that. Okay. Um, a lot of times it's just typed because we're on Discord yeah. a lot discussing things. So I've only been in the presence, the physical presence of other members of either the Rules Committee or the Commander Advisory Group once mm-hmm. now because of Magic Fest LA. No. So, yes. <laughs> So uh, I, I can I can hear Rich's brain mo- working over here. No. <laughs> um, so yeah. So our role though basically is just to sort of give an expanded perspective on the format to the rules committee mm-hmm. when they're making decisions or considering different changes or or things. So it's you know I have no power to ban things. I know people are very scared because I'm anti commander damage in general. Mm-hmm. Um, don't worry. For one, I would never get rid of it. For two, I don't have the power to get rid of it. The most I could say is, hey, Sheldon, here's what I think. Yeah. So, Sheldon, Gavin, Toby, Scott. Sorry, there's there's more than just Sheldon. He's yeah, just yeah. The, the face, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, besides commander damage, what what's kind of at the top of your list of topics to bring to the rules committee? Uh, there's two, I think, right now. One is the ban list. Um, I think the ban list is too big. I would like to bring some cards off of it, um, make it a little bit more cohesive, I, mm-hmm. I think. That would be, you know, nice to just have a real lean, mean ban list. I, as casuals, uh, as a casual player myself, and I know casuals mostly just want to be able to play with the cards they own. And so I think a lot of cards on the ban list, frankly, are of equivalent power to things that are not banned. So I just like to, like, even it out, get it as as short as possible. And the second one um, I think that's interesting is, uh, and it's going on in other formats, too, is the discussion surrounding mulligans and the London mulligan. Um and there's been a lot of discussion on Twitter and Reddit and things lately, not just among commander players, obviously, but specifically with EDH and, you know, the London Mulligan and, mm-hmm. and if that should be adopted. If it's adopted in other formats, should we adopt it? That kind of thing. Yeah. Well, let's let's go back to your first one. Uh, what cards do you think could come off the ban list that are currently on there? Okay, so I think, like, Reoccurring Nightmare is probably pretty safe, I yep. think. Biorhythm probably comes off. I think there's a whole mess of cards that basically you just say, listen, if you want to and you're going to spend 8 to 10 mana on a card, mm-hmm. it's okay if that card wins. Yeah. Because otherwise, Expropriate, Tooth and Nail, there's a million other cards you got to ban that are worse than a lot of cards on there. So I think a whole bunch of cards that fit into that category. I spend 9 mana, I I can ostensibly win. Yeah. Um, I, I think 
listen, you just got to allow that stuff because you can't ban all of it. And you can't say biorhythm is any worse than expropriate because of those two cards, expropriate is way more powerful. But I'm not saying ban expropriate because tooth and nail is there too. And there's a bunch of cards you could put in that category. So mm -hmm. those are the types of cards I would look at first. I would go for the high casting cost. Yes, if you cast them, you probably win if you resolve it. Okay. Let's Twitch chat's throwing out some cards here. Let's just sure. Just quick take on each of these cards. Okay. Tolarian Academy. Um, stay banned. Yeah, I think it probably stays banned. Okay. Uh, Primeval Titan. Probably stays banned. Uh, Fast Pond. See, Fast Mana, I think, is a much bigger problem than big, high casting cost stuff that's powerful. Okay. Uh, Sylvan Primordial. Still probably a little bit too strong, but I could think about it. Okay. Uh, Prophet of Crufix. I mean, I love Prophet. I was fine when it wasn't banned. I would probably be an advocate of unbanning it. It's not at the top of my list of unbans, though. Yeah, that's one of my favorite cards. Yeah. Uh, Coalition Victory. Totally fine. Unban it. Cool. Uh, Sundering Titan. Mm, probably keep it banned. Okay. Uh, Leo Are you just going to name all the cards on the ban list? <laughs> I guess maybe. <laughs> we'll see how deep this goes. Uh, Gifts Ungiven. Um, it interacts interestingly with the format. I think it's probably stays banned, but it, yeah. it's, yeah. Uh, let's see. I would have pegged you for unbanned Gifts Ungiven if you had asked me to, I, to guess. Uh, Gifts Ungiven was one of my favorite cards in the format. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not super like hardcore keep it banned. I'm just, yeah. I'm just murky about it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, eh, it's probably fine, but. Uh, Gristlebrand. Uh, that's gotta stay banned, yeah. 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 Grizzle Band. Grizzle Band. Yeah. Uh, be, mostly because it's a legendary creature, right? If it wasn't yeah. legendary, I think it's totally fine. But the fact that like a deck guarantees gets it and then gets it again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Leovold. I actually was fine with Leovold when it was in the format. I Really? I, that that's I a card. I built that deck immediately. I played it once, played my first time twister effect and destroyed everybody, and then I was just done. It was just, yeah, yeah. nobody had of, fun, yeah. And I like, I think a lot of people had that response to it, mm -hmm. um, you know. But I've, I won games against Leovold decks. It wasn't like... Oh, yeah, it's super possible. It wasn't insanity. Yeah, exactly. Everybody just had to know, like, kill Leovold as soon as it gets cast. Yeah. And save... You know they're playing Leovold. Save your removal for as soon as it gets cast. I think enough people don't play enough removal in Commander as part of yeah, the Yeah, true. Yep. True. And they don't want to. Yep. Especially enchantment removal. <laughs> Uh, World Fire. Totally fine against another high casting cost card that, you know, sure, with some setup wins the game. Yep. Wasn't um, it banned because of its interaction with uh, World Gorger Dragon, or what, am I confused? No, different card. Okay. Uh, now, now some people are just joking. Caracas, that's got to stay banned, right? That Caracas, just, is, just, again, it, it interacts badly with the format. Just yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, balance. Uh, yeah, it's another one that... Yeah. Yeah. Chan it's too good. Channel. I feel like Again, we're, I feel like we're being trolled. Yeah. Now, yeah. They're literally yeah. just listing the list. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, now someone's actively trolling me on the chat. So we're going <laughs> to move on. How do you feel about render silent? I'm not I'm not I'm not happy with render silent. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the London Mulligan. Hey, what's uh, the London Mulligan? The London Mulligan is a it's a rule that we're testing. I want to emphasize testing at Mythic Championship London, which Rich will be at. Yep. Um, so I'd be interested in your take on it, too. Uh, but basically, the gist is the uh, when you take a mulligan, you would draw up to seven cards, 
and then put n cards on the bottom of your library, which n is the number of times you mulligan. So if you mulligan to five, you still draw seven cards, but then you put two of your choice on the bottom. Um, the goal, as R&D is said, is to have fewer non-interactive games. It gives you more options with your starting hand. Um, so we're testing that in Modern at Mythic Championship London, but they've also said, if we adopt this rule, it's going to be for all formats. Now, Commander has its own kind of quirks with, with mulligan rules, uh, but how do you feel about this rule in Commander? Um, I'm, I'm fine with it. I think it's an, of negligible difference from the Vancouver mulligan, mm -hmm. which we're currently running. I know some people are worried about, like, more chance of getting, like, a certain combo in your opening hand, but from where I can see, it's, like, not that different than Vancouver. As far as, like, in Commander, obviously, you get a free mulligan no matter what. Then you'd go down to six. And if you kept that, you would scry. Ostensibly, mm -hmm. you could look at two more cards there, which means you would have looked at eight cards rather than the seven in the London rule. So at six, Vancouver mulligan actually is a little bit better, right? At five, London mulligan looks at seven cards, keeps five of them. The, if you keep at five under Vancouver mulligan, you would basically look at seven cards, right? Look at five, keep, scry, either keep it top or bottom. You can look it up to seven if you want to. So as far as finding combos, I think it's about the same. Once you go down to four, I don't even know if that's worth talking about because you're just going to lose. It's yeah. like auto It's like auto loss. And going down to three and two, again, not a big difference. So for Commander specifically, I don't think the difference between Vancouver Mole and London Mulligan is even worth really worrying about as far as the change to gameplay. Mm -hmm. What I do think is really good is like, if the other formats go to it, I'm very much in favor of, whenever possible, the commander rules mirror the rules of the rest of Magic. It's yeah. just way cleaner and better for everybody if as few things are different as possible. Obviously, some things have to be, but you mm -hmm. know, let's keep it as close as we can, speaking as intuitive of, as we can. Speaking of which, do you guys play with any house rules that are not official rules? It's tough for us to do that because Jimmy and I so often go out to LGSs or events mm -hmm. and things like that, and we play what we call in the wild with people, and we want to be able to interact with, with no. that. And and so the answer is no. We don't have any house rules. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> um, yeah, because the the... You know, the normal rules that the Rules Committee hand down are just the default rules for most people, and we want to be able to play with most people. Now, was I at Magic Fest LA, and somebody goes, hey, can I play my Grimlock deck? Yes. And, of course, we said yes, because that seems awesome. Let's mm -hmm. see that. You know, so I'm very flexible about stuff like that. And uh, if people are like, hey, I'm running a, you know, some silver border cars or whatever, as long as you warn me beforehand, I'm going to be totally fine with it. Yeah. Um, you know, that's one of the great things about Commander is that, there's really no downside to letting people try some stuff like that because you're very rarely playing with anything on the line. You're mostly playing to have fun. So you're like, hey, are those cards going to help you have fun? Sweet, mm -hmm. do it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, before we let you go, because we're going to let you go in a couple minutes, uh, how did you, uh, you react to the Modern Horizons announcement last week? I was very, very excited mm. uh, for a lot of reasons. It looks sweet. It's I love... All the Masters sets and the supplementary Battle Bond Conspiracy limited environments. You know, I think people don't know this about Jimmy and I, but we actually got into Commander through draft because we were drafting and playing a limited a lot. And then we had all these cards left over and we were like, what can we do with these things? And then some of our friends were like, hey, you could build a Commander deck with those. And that's kind of our route. So we still have a big love of draft and limited. And 
you know, I know Modern Horizons is going to be a really sweet draft set because those are built that way. Yep. Also, the fact that they're going to reprint some things that aren't in modern, which presumably will mean older stuff, you know, <laughs> is great for commander players because mm -hmm. that's we're going to use a lot of that stuff, too. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm very, very excited. I think it's going to be sweet. I, I I also am excited for modern players, the, the, the ability to sort of shake things up and add some things that aren't there now. I think, you know, listen, I could be convinced to play modern. It wouldn't be that hard. <laughs> You heard it here first. Josh Lee Quai says, modern, not that hard. <laughs> not that hard. <laughs> uh, so we have gotten a couple requests in chat to ask you questions. So yes, sure. chat, if you'd like to throw some questions in there for Josh Lee Kwai, uh, I guess the, the first question that isn't directly being asked, but kind of, where's Jimmy? Jimmy is actually, Jimmy is in the other room, to be, to be fair. But originally when we scheduled this, Jimmy was going to be traveling yeah uh, but his travel plans got changed so he's like over there somewhere but he's working so he's a pretty busy guy okay uh here's a question for you what do you think about allowing sure. planeswalkers oh <laughs> is he... when i said he's working i meant he's listening he's at the listening door. directly <laughs> hey, Jim. No, I, was, I had the stream on in the other room uh. <laughs> oh, yeah. i'm right here <laughs> and there he goes everyone and there he goes <laughs> and in a flash he was gone um uh Who's the next guest for Game Nights? Um, the next guest, if you follow our Twitter, you'll know because we had a voting process. This is the first time we ever did this where we allowed the community to decide which guilds each uh, each guest and Jimmy and I were going to play on the show. So I got Boros. Mm -hmm. Thanks, everybody. Um, Jimmy got uh, Rakdos. And then we have Rachel Agnes, who is on the Commander Advisory com Committee or group. Uh, and she's playing Orzhov and... The we have Kenji. She's on yep. the cag, yeah. And we have Kenji Numat the Nummy Egashira, and he is going to be playing, uh, what is Kenji playing? Is it? Is it? The only yeah. blue player. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty jealous of Kenji, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Uh, okay, this is, this is a bit of an odd question, but sure. what do you think about allowing Planeswalkers as a commander only if they have been printed with the legendary prefix? So I think by this, basically they mean any Planeswalkers printed Dominaria forward. Yeah, just too complicated to word the rule in that way to me. Like, you're either going to do all Planeswalkers or you're not going to do it. And I am on the record of saying, I think not is a better way to go. Okay. Uh, how do you feel generally about Commanders as Planeswalkers? Planeswalkers as Commanders? I just, I don't necessarily think that all of them would be broken or anything, although we don't know and that is a worry. I just think they lead to longer games. And the upside, to me, the juice is just not worth the squeeze. Commanders in a great place, super popular. I don't think that kind of shakeup is really warranted at mm -hmm. this time. It just feels reckless. Makes sense. All right. Well, thank you, John. Uh, no. Can, can I? Oh, I wanna, you I wanted to ask, ask your question. Me. That's right. Can Rich I, here doesn't I? play Commander and okay. needed some advice. So, so about look, I've, tech. I, I have never played Commander. I've, I've never built a deck, but because I knew you were going to be here and that we had Commander royalty on the show, I okay, would build great. my first deck. Okay. So here, here it is. The good news is it doesn't take long to explain. So we start. 38 mismatched white border islands, 59 okay. counter spells, one cap size, one whispers of the muse, because obviously we need to draw cards, right. and Maloku the clouded mirror as, as the, the commander. Now, am I, am I doing the format right there? Um, <laughs> listen, we like to say on the command zone that we don't ever, we don't fall into the trap that a lot of people fall into of telling people how to play. If it's within the rules and you find it fun, 
Go ahead. But um, Rich. <laughs> but in this gonna, case. <laughs> I'm just going to warn you mm -hmm. that uh, the second time you play that deck, and probably the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, on into Oblivion, yeah. you're going to get killed first every time. But the great news is I move all over the world and no one ever gets to see me twice. So I'm going to be true. able to do this for the next decade and no one will ever know. So your right. plan is so, to just drop into Magic Fest, play this deck against people we like, and then leave. No, here's what yeah. actually happens is at Magic Champion, Mythic Championships, mm -hmm. he plays it with staff there, which includes a member of the rules committee. True. And Rich ends up being <laughs> the first player ever banned from Commander. I, uh, <laughs> and we let Rashad play. I would travel extensively to play that deck against Sheldon. <laughs> that is certainly true. Yeah, that sounds like a deck Sheldon would loathe, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Josh, thank you for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate you stopping by. And when should we expect the next episode of Game Nights? Oh boy. Um, well, it's going to be near the. I believe the release date is March 27th. Okay. And we're calling it the Ravnica Rumble because each of us is representing a guild. I got the short end of the stick here. I'm Boros, so I'm expecting everybody out there to root for me. Um, yeah, so that's the next episode. And guys, it was such a pleasure to be on. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, yeah, it was great. Absolutely. Thanks, Josh. Good see to see ya. you, buddy. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Peace. <laughs> All right, now we can ditch the headphones. Much more comfortable. Much more comfortable. Oh, hello. Yeah, hi, how you doing? <laughs> Things are good. Uh, so we're going to keep talking about, about content creation, but we're going to move off of Commander, mm. and we're going to talk a little bit about, about kind of the big show, the, the Mythic Championships and sure. the behind the scenes there. So you've been at them forever, but yep. did Cleveland feel any different? Uh, it did. So the first thing is having Magic Fest there mm -hmm. was fantastic. So many people who would never have been at a Pro Tour or a Mythic uh, in their own right were there because so many people traveled to Magic Fest. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was fantastic. The number of conversations we had you know, on Friday evening and Saturday, particularly Saturday evening, right? Because that's day one of the GPs almost done. Mm -hmm. um, and we just met so many people who were like, this is what the big show looks like. Yeah. This is what potentially we're aspiring to, or just it's great to see what what that really means. Because for a lot of people, um, a Mythic Championship or a Pro Tour as was, is just about one overhead camera and two face cams, and that's one table, right? Mm -hmm. that's, all, that's all there is. But when you see 450, 500 people playing Magic in round one, that's pretty awesome, you know? And, and yeah. all these draft draft pods simultaneously, that's always a, a cool feeling for, mm -hmm. for us. That, that never gets old, the Friday morning. Um, start of, of draft and it was great to see so many people who were experiencing that for the first time yeah right. so let's let's do the same thing we were doing with Josh and what what's it like behind the scenes of the broadcast for mythic championships uh, as non chaotic as we can manage mm -hmm. um, and the, the the trick there that wasn't a pun it happens all the time um, is is to just try and keep on top of as many stories as you can mm -hmm. one of the things that perhaps people don't know is that uh, you look at something like, let, let's say, Sunday night football, okay? And midway through the second quarter, they'll run a 45-second clip of defensive end for the New Orleans Saints so-and-so, and it's this heartwarming story of, you know, his kid who's been going through difficulties at school but in this intervention program, so whatever it is, right? Yeah. And it's wonderful and it's beautifully positioned. What you don't know is that there are 12 of those packages sitting there waiting to see 
who had the interception in the first quarter, mm -hmm. and then they run their package in quarter two. Now, we don't have a dozen broadcast teams touring the world so that when Reed wins the round two match, we do his package, but if he'd lost, we'd have done his opponent's package mm -hmm. in round three. So that is the difference between an NBC and a WOTC, if mm -hmm. you like, um, right? And so we are all about trying to join the dots of coverage. And sometimes that's really hard, like in this case, Alex Manchelaton, for example, I think had one feature match on Saturday, because he wasn't an 8-0 on day one, um, wasn't on a super exciting draft pod on day two, so wasn't in the, you know, on pod one there. He gets one feature match, suddenly he's in the top eight, and it's like, we've hardly seen him. Mm -hmm. But on the other end of that, the very first deck tech of the weekend was Auden Burchett, mm -hmm. right? So you saw the winning deck at the absolute earliest opportunity that we could. And then we were able to follow their story all the way through. Uh, there were the player of the day, they, you know, watching the win and ins and so on, the, the big interviews, and then of course Sunday, a uh, fantastic storyline there. And that's where you join the dots and it feels like a super coherent storyline that we could point to our preview on Thursday. We were shooting interviews with Autumn before the tournament began mm -hmm. as someone to look out for, and it happened to work out perfectly. Mm -hmm. um, right? You know, and, and so that was that was wonderful. Yeah. But it's hard because there's 499 stories in Mythic Championship Cleveland, which is why, of course, the MPL is so great mm -hmm. from our point of view, because there are 32 people to tell you about, and you can get a lot deeper when there aren't the other 465 yeah. to discuss. It, so, believe it or not, I have news for the audience. This might be news, might mm. not be. Mm. Uh, you're British. It's true. Hello. Yes. God save the Queen. <laughs> so is Autumn. Yep. What was it like watching their win from your seat as someone who, they're, they're a countryman. Yeah. It's a big deal for you guys. It, it is because it's the first ever mm -hmm. British uh, Mythic Champion. You know, we've had Craig Jones with the Lightning Helix moment and advancing, but that was in the semi-final, right. advancing to the final, but but not winning. Uh, we've had Warren Marsh at the top of standings. You've had Quentin Martin, Stuart Wright. You know, it, at the, towards the top of standings in top eights. I think the interesting thing is that that group, because Autumn is part of a, a, a big team, Axiom now. Mm -hmm. um, and they have worked so hard on their success. They are absolutely about process or process, depending on how you'd like to describe it, <laughs> if versus like, if outcome. Speak normally or English you know, or yeah. not, um, <laughs> right? They are so calm and rational about. And and Autumn actually tweeted this week. Uh, look, this is this is not about me winning. Mm. This is about how I was in a position to do that because of the process. Because of the. Because of that, exactly. <laughs> um, and they are all like that, because we now have, you know, and if you watch the last three years of Grand Prix, mm -hmm. you see them starting to make day two, starting to be in contention for top eight, finishing ninth, making top eight, multiple Grand Prix champions. Kiyura Patel's a, a Grand Prix champion. Joao Chaucer is a Grand Prix champion. This is not a surprise. It's a super coherent line mm -hmm. of, we're all not very good, but we'd like to be good, and we have enough smarts that if we work at it, together, we can be good. Yeah. And now they are. And that's a great message for people at home. Yep. Because most people who play Magic who aspire to that are actually smart people. right? And, you, and the hard work really does pay off. Yeah. Um, so Autumn was part of a much larger story there. Yeah. Now, you just rattled off 
a number of names. Sure. Some of which I've heard of, some of which I haven't, and I'm, I'm obviously very entrenched in the Magic scene. How sure. do you form a cohesive narrative for players when uh, every tournament, it seems, someone rises out of the ranks of the unknown and right. does really well? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of the answer to that is you learn to look at standings very carefully. Mm -hmm. right? Standings are not about page one of standings. This is something that Brian David Marshall, um, our dearly departed coverage colleague, as he he's like, not still dead. Ice. He's not dead. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, but um, one of the things that he was fantastic at is he knew how to pass standings. And he looks at, at Cleveland and goes, in 79th place on 10 and 6, missing out by only one match from coming back to the next one mm -hmm. is so-and-so. And so-and-so is the person that BDM has met at four previous GPs over the last nine months. Mm -hmm. And every time their goal has been to make day two of the GP, to qualify for my first Pro Tour Mythic Championship, uh, to make day two of my first Mythic Championship, to qualify for the next one. And they've just missed out on that. And sometimes he'll tell that story of 79th place. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he'll wait because he knows full well that when 79th place this time becomes win uh, an MCQ, come back, finish top 16, then he tells the story of right. this is no surprise because yeah. and can rattle off those, those four, four points. And yes, it is true that there are a handful of us who are not quite encyclopedic because you know, that's literally tens of thousands of players. Mm -hmm. But I would certainly say that two to 3,000 players that we would feel like we have a, an actual relationship with and know them personally and know roughly where they think they are in their magic careers and what their goals are and where they've taken a back seat and, mm -hmm. you know, um, and it's, it's hard yeah. to, to keep on top of that. Again, another reason why the MPL is super exciting because that level of Zoom and intimacy um, in, a, in its truest sense is going to be so real moving forward you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're really going to get to know these people yeah um, so let's um, let's stick with Cleveland and talk about someone who we do really know that you don't have to have an encyclopedic knowledge is Luis Scott Vargas yes. who had another top eight yeah, he just so kind of seemingly does it whenever he wants to yeah so that, I believe that was the fifth out of the last nine yeah um, which is obviously crazy and therefore people are talking about is he the greatest of all time the GOAT G-O-A-T and I, I think the, the interesting thing with that is we're so results-oriented, mm -hmm. and first of all, it's whether you're in the top eight, that matters. If you're ninth, that's irrelevant. Yep. Ari, Ari Lax is a Pro Tour champion, fantastic. Ari Lax finishing ninth, no one cares, yeah. right, on the, on the face of it. But Ari Lax is still a great Magic player in both those scenarios and played great Magic both those weekends. So with Luis, like, you can certainly make a case that he is not the greatest of all time right now, but I guarantee you that if he hadn't mulliganed to four against Andrew Ellenbogen in game five, won that Pro Tour, the voices for he's the greatest of all time would be vastly stronger yep. than they are now. And you can't seriously tell me that he became either the greatest player or not on the basis of a mulligan to four, mm -hmm. right? So th those kind of debates are great to have, and they generally start on the coverage team about 11 p.m. So immediately after. Immediately after, yeah. 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 To put you on the spot, because I don't know what depth of knowledge you can pull off the top of your head, oh, what, you. are, what are the, st the stats that compare him versus Kai versus uh, 
John Finkel versus right. whoever so, well, else you well, might put well, in the Well, the other two are like Gavin Asif and Paolo. Right. right? So, so they're your big five. And look, the answer to that is that they're all different. Right. right? And here's, here's the thing. They all do different things. Right. So fundamentally, Paolo is 12 top eights in an era when there are hundreds and hundreds of people playing at Pro Tours, and that's phenomenal, but doesn't win a lot. Right. Like, historically, he has not won a ton of trophies. He doesn't spike once he's in the top eight, so that's Paolo. Um, you've got Luis, who is now into double figures for top eights, which is extraordinary, and he is a beast and, and wins things and is arguably the most competitive of that five. You've got Nassif, who doesn't have anything like the resume, of the others, but is acknowledged on play skill of watch this human being navigate turns, listen to, like for a lot of modern viewers, listen to him on the stream mm -hmm. and you understand what's going on in the brain of someone who's one of the best five of all time, mm -hmm. but is no, not even close to, to the others in, in terms of really just absolutely delivering. And then you've got Kai and John. And the interesting thing to me there is that Kai was able to beat people by being different to everybody else. He was the first to market in a number of activities that pros now would sort of naturally take for granted about, you know, just, he understood the game. He was almost playing a different game mm -hmm. to everyone else. And when they were playing with, uh, with Marco Bloom and Dirk Bavarovsky on, on the Phoenix Foundation as the, uh, their team was, they were playing a different game to everyone else in the room because they just understood it better. And there was enough absence of variance to mean that you were just better than everyone, so you were able to beat everyone all the time. And then John, who, for what it's worth, I still think of as the greatest player of all time right now, the interesting thing to me for him is that he has not come back to Magic full time. Right. He is not someone who is a content creator. Yeah, He has an absolute Monday to Sunday job, really. Mm -hmm. um, and the one thing you hear about him all the time from his teammates is he's always asking questions. If you're the best player ever and you spend your entire time asking people, how can I be better? That's one of the reasons he's so great, mm -hmm. right? If you have just the humility, apart from anything else, to shut up and, and ask people and just, come on then, Billy, give it to me. Owen, help me. Reed, I don't know the pick. You know, and apparently he does that all the time to, to the point of distraction to the rest <laughs> of his team on occasion. Um, so yeah, look, those are the, those are the top five pr pretty much. I think that's consensus. I don't think I'm, I'm going to be uh, come off air and find a hundred tweets <laughs> saying, you've completely missed out Neil Rigby, for example. Um, and you going to who? Yuya was the only question I've seen in the Twitch chat. See, because you, I will say that list is very North America centric. Yeah, and or and, and European. Yeah. Well, yeah, but and of course that's true. But let's be real: half the people who've ever played Magic mm -hmm. are basically North American. Mm -hmm. So you would think that you know half half the mess would be. And certainly, you use a fantastic player. I think part of his difficulty is that people tend to lump together region. Um, and while I think it's very clear that Paolo is the best Latin American player of all time, mm -hmm. um, if you look at you, yeah, well. What about Shoti Yasuoka, who doesn't have the same resume, but mm. many people consider certainly top 10 all time? Or Kenji Sumura, six Pro Tour top eights. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people won't know Kenji now because he's been out of the, 
the pro scene for a few years. Mm -hmm. uh, but those three, there was a point where those three plus Saito and, and Nakamura, that they were all kind of coming to European GPs. And yeah. when I started covering, they were the rock stars of the global game. There was a period where it was all Japan all the time. Right, yep. and, and it was when, when America was in trouble and you know when Brian Kibler comes back and wins Austin in 2009, that's kind of the start of the regeneration of mm -hmm. uh, US magic. Um, but but that sort of squad of five or six Japanese players of the mid two thousands. Oh, that's been ten years. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, and they were all <laughs> Shu, Shuya Nakamura was the two thousand eight Player of the Year. Right. You know. Um, so yeah, and and it's fun to have those conversations. And of those five, who is most likely to get the next top eight? It's probably Luis, right? Because he's five yeah. of nine, and sometime in the next year, you'd think he may well be there again. Yeah. Um, so his stock is only likely to rise. Um, and then it's, you know, uh, interesting. And of course, he's not in the MPL. And he is. You keep coming back to that like you want to talk about the MPL. The MPL, the Magic the Pro Magic League. The Magic Pro League, yeah. yeah. What about the Magic Pro League, Rich? I'm very excited about the Magic <laughs> Pro League. Can you tell? As are we all. It's actually really yeah. exciting, yeah. It, 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 it really, really is. Because uh, to me, one of the things that came out of Cleveland, which truthfully I was surprised at, was that you had this sort of. Not quite a Berlin Wall, mm -hmm. but there was the MPL on one side. 32 of some of the most popular, never mind just that they're good, some of the most popular Magic players on Earth mm -hmm. versus 460-some yeah. challenges. And there was this idea of challenges going, yep, I would like to eliminate three MPLers in a row from this event before I get in the top eight. And in the top eight, I'd like to beat three more, thank you. <laughs> uh, and on the MPL side, uh, you know, they're like, well, we haven't started play yet on the MPL, so there are still people who haven't seen us week in, week out, doing our thing and just being demonstrably excellent. Right. Mm -hmm. So there was a feeling in Cleveland of we want to represent this entity, this new, this new entity that, you know, we say the NBA and we know that as a shorthand for the best basketball players on earth. Yeah. But MPL doesn't yet mean that obviously and automatically for the Magic community because we haven't... We haven't seen enough NBA Finals yet, as it were, right. in MPL land to understand that that's basically what it is. So, yeah, there, there's a real sense of uh, friendly rivalry, but rivalry for sure. I know yeah. three made the top eight in Cleveland. How many made it to like top sixteen so, or past that? I so, don't remember. yeah, no, I, I don't. I, that's a number I don't. I don't okay. have. Um, but it's certainly something that we're going to be paying attention to moving forward because that idea of you know just just as a fun game at home. Who do you want to pick? Do you? I'll give you all 32 of the MPL, or you can have 468 other yeah. horses in the race. And one of them is going to win. This time, of course, if you'd been on the challenger side, you'd have done nicely. Autumn won, won the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, well, it's interesting because the top eight was not only filled with a number of MPL players, but there were a number of invitees, including Autumn, to the Mythic Invitational. So that strikes me as the most exciting single tournament structure I think I've ever seen mm -hmm. for, for Magic. Partly because of the money, there's a million dollars on offer, but it's the idea that we are gonna tell six sets of stories in that event, yeah. right? There are groups of 16, 64 players, four groups, you're a soccer man, true. Oh, yeah. You know the whole group of death idea. Yep. It's gonna get eight MPLs, you're gonna get a mix of, of them and the invitees uh, and the, the qualifiers from the Mythic rank. Um, on arena and one of those groups is going to just be petrifying mm -hmm. because the way it works is it, it's double elimination so 
Eight players are going to win their first round. Well done, then. Let's forget about them for a bit. The eight losers in this group of 16 then have to go four and O oh from there to get out of their group. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they're just done. That's four rounds of single elim. If you happen to lose your first match against a Hall of Famer, against a world champion, against a player of the year, against someone who happens to be all three of those things, yeah. right? It, it is... You know, you only need to do random samplings of what could matchups look like to go, this is basically, it's like Masters Series. It's like, it's probably going to be at a higher consistent level, particularly later in the tournament, than many Pro Tours have been mm -hmm. right. historically. Look at a Pro Tour top eight, even at what we call a stacked, which is a word I know that, that some people don't like us using. I, I think probably we're going to have, particularly Saturday. Saturday is when you get your four 16s down to the last 16. Right. Mm -hmm. And that last 16 is going to be absurd. There's no way it can't be. Well, that's even, you know, we talk about the MPL as being these amazing players, but the, the list of challengers is really good as well. Yeah, and I'm super excited because, look, obviously, I, I can talk forever about the Magic players. So you've got your champions like Alan Bogan and Darby, and you've got mm -hmm. LSV in there and Nassif. But look, there are three mentally good Hearthstone players in there. Um, you've got Tace uh, Molendyke, who's a, a Hearthstone world champion. Um, you've got S. Jow, um, who's there. You've got. Um, Savje, is that how? Yeah, no whatever idea. the handle is. But there are three massively good Hearthstone players who are going to look at this field and go, I can beat them. You know, and I can't wait to see whether they can. Mm -hmm. Right? And then, of course, you've got the underdog stories. You've got people who are not naturally regulars at the top 16 of a mythic event. Mm -hmm. But they only need to have one upset in round one. You know, just. Just imagine, you could have Louis Scott Vargas against Gabby Sparts, theoretically. That is a, a round one pairing mm -hmm. where one of them then has to go for an out. You only need one upset to suddenly put yourself in... See, really now that you put that out there, people are going to be like, if that happens, people are going to be like, they, they did that on purpose. They fixed it. That, that's right, because I choose all the matches, everyone. That, <laughs> that's not how that works. That's, that's not how that works. Um, but the storylines are so brilliant everywhere. There, there is literally not a person in the field mm -hmm. where we can't tell a phenomenal story of how they went from round one, whether that's Thursday morning, the first pot of 16, or Thursday, the second half, group two, group three on Friday morning into the afternoon, then the second half of the day, Friday, wherever they are in that, following them through from there to the 16, get to Sunday, top four, double the limb, mm -hmm. again. Every single story is just wonderful. Yeah. And, and look, you are both very aware that I'm incredibly passionate about the game. But what? Yeah, I know. But truly, I don't think I've seen a better storytelling mechanism sure. than this four days that we're about to witness in, in Boston at PAX. So, wonderful. Can't wait. Yeah. It's going to be fun. And it's all going to be broadcast on twitch.tv slash magic. It's true. But after the fact, Trick, where is it going to show up? So, uh, for those of you who don't know, we launched a second YouTube channel to be for Magic Esports. So, if you were looking for the Cleveland footage and didn't find it, it's because we put it up on youtube.com slash C slash MTG underscore Esports. Uh, if you haven't subscribed, go check it out, <laughs> add subscriptions so you get notified when new events and things go up on there. Uh, we're working on more content that's going to come out between these major Mythic events and things like that. 
but it's super exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm eager for people to have this laser-focused, competitive YouTube channel they can follow, along with the awesome content that we put up on our main YouTube channel, like the VODs of this show, yep. uh, R&D Plays MTG, Friday Nights from our friends at Loading Ready Run, or uh, anything else that we were, we're working on that we haven't announced trailers, yet. Trailers. Trailers, yeah, of course. Trailers, yeah. that sort of thing. Yep. How to play videos. Yep. Where does, where does my magic stand-up routine go? Which, which site is that? There's a garbage can over there. That was harsher than I was going to go. <laughs> was this is rich. You have to keep rich under strict control. There is Otherwise... no keeping rich under strict control. <laughs> I'll just be over here in the corner. <laughs> rich is, I, I, I said this off screen beforehand, but Rich is the only person who will, if you, if you watch this show regularly, co-host Steve, uh, Rich is the only person who will make me roll my eyes more than co-host Steve. It's true. Generally, I can just say to you, so, yep. no. and you'll start walking in just, the other direction. Yeah, just shake my head. And, mm -hmm. No, Rich. No. You're no. welcome. No. It's a gift. Uh, and so what else is going on with our Twitch Pull content? up my notes here. Make pull sure up I... those notes. Yeah. Uh, so, for those of you who don't know, I used to be in charge of our global community team. Now I'm focused on video. So I'm working on YouTube. I'm looking at this camera. Okay. We're working on our YouTube <laughs> and Twitch. Suddenly I'm not looking at the, the screen. Hey, you I'm, I'm, just I'm, keep I'm, talking. I'm, well, okay, fine. <laughs> So uh, the eSports channel is one of the things that we're super excited to be rolling out. The other thing that if you've ever happened to load up twitch.tv slash magic, um, we have a lot of downtime normally. And starting this month, we've actually moved it to where we are 24-7, around the clock. Going to do replays of weekly MTG. No? 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 Okay. We might replay it more often. That's actually a thing I've been meaning okay. to talk to you about. Cool. But um, when we aren't doing programmed content, we now have been hosting a lot more of our community content creators, whether they are MPL uh, players or if they're just streamers out of the community who have reached out to us or who we've built up a relationship with or who are interested in being uh, a creator program uh, member for us. So you, if you want to watch Magic and you don't know who to follow or who to watch, come to twitch.tv slash magic and we will always have something or someone playing Magic on this and channel. And when does that start again? It's already started. It has already started. That's right. We started oh. it this past, this earlier this week. Okay. Um, Along with this, though, the Mythic Invitational at PAX East at the end of March is super exciting. There's a lot of great content going to come out of that, a lot of great stories, as Rich and Blake and I were just talking about. But it also marks a shift in our strategy for Twitch. And so one of the things that I wanted to let people know is that at the end of March, we're going to stop with the scheduled contracted streams that we've been doing. That is Gabby, Marshall, Kenji, and Loading Ready Run. They've been great. They're, all of them I consider good friends. But... As with the Magic Pro League and figuring out what it's going to look like in this new era, we're going to pull back and not be doing those contract streams. We'll still be hosting them. We'll still be featuring them as, as content creators, as part of our content. But uh, you'll stop seeing them stream directly to the Magic channel, and they will return to only streaming on their own channel or somewhere else if they have something like that. But uh, I want to say thanks to them. They've been great for us as we've been figuring out this program, expanding and experimenting with our Twitch channel and things like that. Um, but yes, yeah, so the end of March, right before the Mythic Invitational, they'll be streaming up until that Thursday. Uh, Kenji will not, because I think that's when his wedding is, or it's right around that time that oh, he's actually going to be un unavailable. Such an excuse. I know. Oh, what a slacker. Word. But thanks again to those great people. And lastly, another thing I wanted to announce, uh, James last week when we announced Modern Horizons, James at Loading Ready Run announced on their channel that we are doing a pre-release for, for Modern Horizons. Yep, I'm still lobbying to be sent to that one. We'll see, we'll see. But also, I, I'm going to tell you that we're doing pre-releases for the rest of the year. So we'll have one for War of the Spark, Modern Horizons, Magic 2020, mm -hmm. and then the fall set 
which has not been announced. Almost got you there. Good job. No, no. <laughs> the and, full and set. The full set, yeah. Uh, codename Archery. Yes. You do understand that one year you're going to say things like that. And when we get there, the set will be called The Fall. The Fall set? No, it'll just be called The, the Fall. Fall. Mm. Yeah. But we'll release it in spring. Obviously. That's a good idea. Yeah. We should do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I'm super excited. I love the, the pre pre releases. They're streamed by our partners, Loading Ready Run, on their own channel. And then we'll be hosting it on this channel still. But uh, I'm excited that we're going to be doing them for the rest of the year. Those are the main things I wanted to talk about. Uh, the new YouTube channel, definitely go check it out. If you haven't subscribed, do that. There's great, all of the great coverage from the. the the championship there. Yep. So. I just wanted to add one thing, Blake, because the show's been talking about cotton. It's not a joke. Um, I promise. <laughs> Every time I promise, that means it isn't a joke. We've been talking it about cotton. It does. That, that's my code. That's my code of honor. This is the prelude to every conversation it's I have not. with Rich. No. If this is not a joke, then I'm like, maybe it is. You'll He's see. Like, no, it's not. I'll prove and it then to it you. is a joke. And I'll prove. I've never done that to you. Okay. I'll prove it to you. We've been talking about content creation. Yeah. Um, a lot of my work is involved in behind the scenes building up to mm. a big peak of something, whether that's Mythic Championship Cleveland or Boston or London or, or down the line. I have so much respect and love for the content creators who every Tuesday, the day after they've just put out their latest thing, know that they are 140 some hours away from having to put the next one out. Um, and my good friends on the Blue Envelope podcast, mm -hmm. who I know you've oh, done, yeah. you've done yep. uh, preview cards with in the past, they're celebrating their 200th yeah. podcast where they sit around and talk about being British and talking about magic. They're doing a live show on Sunday. And, you know, just much love and respect, not, not just to them. But they obviously, you know, I was aware of them, but there are so many people out there who mm -hmm. every single week they're going, yeah. because I love the game, and though every week the game changes in subtle and sometimes not so subtle ways, we still love the game and we're going to share that love with you. And I, th I just think that's fantastic. Yeah, congratulations to those guys. No joke. Deal. At all. No, See? that wasn't a joke because you're promoting British people. That's uh, <laughs> I, under, I understand what's happening here. Thank you, Rich, for coming on. Thank uh, you. As much crap as I, I give you, I, I always enjoy your company. Uh, and I hope the stream did as well. Thank you very much to Josh Lee Kwai. Uh, be sure to check out the Command Zone and Game Nights. Thanks to Trick for coming on and sharing some knowledge about what's happening with the Twitch channel. Uh, next week on Weekly MTG, I'm going to be off for five weeks because I'm going to go hang with my kid. Is it me? It's not it's you. It, no, it's not you. Oh. It's not you. Uh, That's why I saved the co -host joke. Co-host Steve will just be host Steve for those five okay. weeks, and we'll take over. Uh, next week, we have a really cool show. Greg Weissman, the article, uh, the author of Ravnica War of the Spark, the novel, is going to be on the show to talk a little bit about that, yeah, talk awesome. about writing. Uh, yeah, Greg Weissman, if you don't know who he is, he's uh, done a lot of cool shows. He's, he's been a television writer. He's been a fantasy writer. Uh, great writer. He's going to be on the show in the studio with host Steve. Um, and it's going to be a good time, even though I won't be there. Um, are you, you going to watch from home? Maybe. It depends on if my kid's napping or not. We'll see. <laughs> uh, but thank you all for tuning in. Uh, I won't see you next week, but we will be back right here on Weekly MDG. Thanks for tuning in. So, Blake. No. There's this gun. Mm -mm. And what happens is. No. No? Cut no. Are you sure? No. I, it's so good. No, no. seriously.